Hello, and thanks for joining your Body Advocate podcast. Here I am, still advocating for your body more than your mind. I'm Ruth Cummings, your host, and today I have a very interesting interview with Joshua Rodriguez. And before I really introduce this interview, let me just say that the intention of this podcast is to show you as many ways to heal your body that I can possibly find and people that I can possibly talk to to share with you about how to get things out of your body, how to get emotion out of your body, how to get pain out of your body, and how to live a passion-filled, pain-free life. That's my whole goal. So I'm going to bring up a lot of different ways, things that you guys have never heard of, and today is one of those days. I ask that you have an open mind like you have for learning about Ayurveda, about homeopathy. And if you've been around me at all, you know that I love humans. I just love everybody. Everybody deserves a smile and a chance and often a second chance. And if you've been around me a while, you also know that I work with a lot of teens, a lot of young adults, and that part of their suffering is that they don't feel heard. They don't feel seen. They feel invisible. And it's interesting because that happens to a lot of adults too. We feel invisible. We'll be standing in a crowded room and sometimes we can feel really lonely. And for teens, when they don't feel like they can express themselves or that maybe they're going to get in trouble for a viewpoint or they, they really are questioning their faith or different parts of their world and they just don't feel safe enough to talk about it and that causes a lot of suffering. This also causes a lot of suffering for the rest of us and when I work on bodies I can find this and help people let that go. So being seen, being heard, really being understood is extremely important and today's guest Joshua Rodriguez also known as Master Joshua is a professional dominant in the leather community or the BDSM community. And he and I have a conversation today about how to really see people, let them be themselves. And sometimes that can really release tension, stress, and allow people to be themselves and to be much better humans because of it. Let's take a deep breath to relax. Ready? All right, you guys, I hope you like this one. You're listening to Your Body Advocate, telling your body's side of the story. The podcast dedicated to supporting and improving your body-mind connection so you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life, dissolving one body tension at a time. Discover the healing properties of your own body language, and together, let's explore ways to support and improve essential self-talk. Now, here's your host, Master of Encouragement and Body-Mind Life Coach, Ruth Cummings. All right. Hello. Welcome, Joshua. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, you guys, this is a really, really a treat. This is Joshua Rodriguez. We've been talking for the last several weeks, getting ready for this podcast interview and more to come, I'm hoping. And I'm going to read his bio real quick. And so you know who we're talking to, and then we'll get started on this fun conversation. Joshua, known as Master Joshua, in counselor, editor, e-promoter, and host, and professional dominant. 
in one-on-one sessions, Joshua guides his clients towards self-acceptance, empowering them to gain control of and become active participants in their own lives. Drawing upon personal, unique, and hard-earned transformative experiences, he has developed a personalized method of NTSB, non-traditional sexual behavior counseling, which is specifically geared towards catalyzing self-actualization. Over the past 12 plus years, this system has helped hundreds rid themselves of shame, see and embrace their sexual identity, and live richer, better, more materialized lives. I love that. And Joshua, I had mentioned before as we talk that my audience will be shocked by um, what you do. And I'm hoping that they can see past that. And I think that so many people do not feel heard, do not feel understood, do not feel um, like they're seen. And I think that you can help that. And I'm excited to see how you can uh, put that into ways that our audience can use today. Where do you live? So I'm based in New York City. Uh, I've been here. I grew up here in New York. Uh, I left. I joined the military. I traveled the country a little bit. And then I came back about 20 years ago. Uh, I was raised here. I I have a lot of my foundation and identity in New York. Um, But it's it's uh, it's been one place that I'm I uh, I'm ready to go. Right. I'm ready to move move from. But uh, I'm out here on the East Coast. It's humid and it's just ah, muggy. Well, yeah, I'm in the desert and there's uh, 0.0 humidity. So it's it's uh, very different out here. Like I've heard. So, for example, if I put we're just so used to like if you wash something and then you and you hang it, that it will it will dry in 20 minutes around here, especially if you put it in the sun outside. But uh, I, I hear that's not the same um, where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll have a wet towel for three days. <laughs> Ah, that I know, like feeling like right after you take a shower that you're still wet, that that doesn't happen here. Yeah. Well, we have been having some incredible conversations and I really appreciate you, Joshua, and I'm I'm excited to uh, dig a little deeper. So tell me um, how BDSM is a healing art. Tell me more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I stumbled across BDSM. a while ago, uh, over a dozen years ago. My journey through identity started well before that. Uh, And then my journey through stimulation and sexuality started years ago too. Uh, So I'm gonna take it back to when I was five, right? And uh, my aunt would come over and she had nylons on and I would rub her nylons and the sensation of that stimulated my body. But how do you tell that to a five-year-old? right? It's like it's sensation, it's experiential, it's not, there's no agenda behind it other than what our body's processing. And as time goes on, right, we're told we're supposed to act a certain way, be a certain way because of our gender or our age or our race or religion. And all these social markers tend to box us in away from our creative element, our spirit of exploration and excitement and being inquisitive. So we're conditioned into being like everyone else because we don't want to stick out. And what that ends up happening, what ends up happening is we become dimmer, right? Because to stick out leads us to vulnerability, right? And who wants to be vulnerable? Who wants to 
be on the brunt end of judgment. So we box it all up into a nice little representation of the mass that we present. Uh, and as time goes on, and what I believe midlife crisis to be is us filling up this cup of lack of authenticity. And then when it fills all the way up, it starts to overflow and you start to feel it in your body and your expression and your identity. And it isn't your representation, right? It's your expectation and uh, societal expectation. And that's, that's when I believe people cut their hair, buy the car, divorce, buy the house, sell the house, right? They have these drastic life changes because they're looking for something that's internal, but they're trying to receive it externally. And with the work that I do is I hold the space so that a person can speak their truth, even if they're not ready to take the steps towards it, but just someone to hear their reality inside. And in those spaces that are held, people are validated in their experiences and their desires of just wanting to exist as they are themselves. And what I end up doing from that point is I try to walk them through that process of dropping some of these bags of being able to say, yes, that's me, or no, that's not me. This is who I am. Uh, but it's a process, it's a building process, because you've just spent two or three decades putting on these masks, and they don't just come off right away. So it's like, a, it's like, it's a process of communication, holding space, and validating someone to say, you're not broken, and I see you, and it's okay. And you're not the only one like that. A lot of it revolves around identity and sexual identity. These are core parts of who we are. And when you're told that you're wrong for being a certain way, right? It's, and you're told in other ways, right? Don't do that, girls do that, right? Don't do that, boys do that. You're too old for that, put that away, right? We're invalidated in certain ways that aren't direct to our expression, but they are, right? So dealing with invalidation for decades, it's a process of self-acceptance and self-acceptance can start by reflection or self-acceptance can start by being seen and heard, right? And I, I try to do both. I'll sit with you, I'll hear you, and then I'll give you some homework to think further. Like one of my favorite questions to ask, and this is a very recent one, uh, we don't take a lot of time to think about all the things we've survived, right? For us, they're still open wounds, but in reality, they're not. We just tell them as a part of our story, as, a, as opposed to what was a part of our story, our, our grand makeup, right? It doesn't create our whole identity, but it's, it's an effect of our whole story, right? Uh, like the color of my skin. <clears throat> I'm Latino, I'm Puerto Rican and Mexican, but you can't look at, a lot of people can't look at me and tell. And for years, I got into a lot of conflict around the color of my skin. I grew up in East Harlem, which is a predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, so I was already the white kid sticking out, right? So I, I never had a place to fit in. I'm too gay for the straights, too straight for the gays. I didn't, wasn't received by my own people, so to speak, right? Because I'm the white boy, you're not one of us. And there was a lot of resentment around my physical makeup. Uh, until months ago, right? I'm 43 now. And I carry this all the way up until 43, right? And what 
what I realized is a lot of my anger stemmed from me having to prove myself everywhere I went until I was able to sit and process, well, who am I? And understand that the color of my skin is my story, right? Would I have wanted to change it? Sure, when I was younger, right? To be a little darker, right? To be a little taller, right? To fit in so I didn't stick out. But to stand here today and say that the reason why I'm here is because of who I am wholly, not only internally, but externally. And that's part of my story, right? To be able to forgive myself and say, it's okay, this, you were in survival mode and you're no longer in that survival mode, right? It's like you can put that bag down. And, uh, you know, I, I had to walk through it myself. I had the assistance, let me rephrase that. I walked through it, I walked through it myself thinking I was handling it, but I was just managing. It wasn't until I sat with a friend of mine He's a counselor out in uh, the UK, really amazing guy. And uh, I helped him with some of his sexual identity and shame. And when he held the space for me, we spoke about resentment and my anger about needing to be seen. And it was like, it clicked. And then I was finally able to start reflecting and saying, it's, it is necessary. That part of your struggle is necessary so that you can, you can reap the reward of being able to hold space for others who come after you suffering from the same thing, right? And while you're getting beat up and struggling, it doesn't feel like, like an opportunity until you're on the other side of it and you've reflected and you said, you know what? I am bigger and stronger because of it. I love that. Yes. You know, I talk about, um, I say this in a different way where we have our body story. And I talk about how, you know, things happen to us and our body responds very specifically and everybody's different. And so like our jaw will get tight or our neck will get tight or we'll get headaches or our foot turns in, or we have little ticks that each human develops towards those traumas. And as that, as we feel, like you said, um, those, they, the ticks can get worse or they can create more pain or, um, and it's just interesting how we ignore it and we are taught to ignore it. Like we see our parents ignore it. We see our grandparents ignore it. We see the people on TV that are, um, that are acting, ignore it. We see people that are uh, the, the weatherman. You can tell that his, his shoulder hurts, but he, he walks through his life and doesn't say anything. And it's just really interesting um, how it's, it's universal, right? It's universal. And there's so, many, there's so many opportunities to be seen. And I think because the need is getting to be really um, uh, so intense, possibly, maybe that it's intense, like more people are aware of it, but there seems to be this um, not only need, but uh, people meeting that need. And saying, hey, it's you can be seen, you can be heard, and you can be understood, and you can get let, let go of this resentment, and you can help the world the way you're supposed to. You can love the world. And as you know, like my whole, I want people to love each other. 
I want kindness to be spread through smiles. And it's very difficult to be angry if you're smiling. But when our body hurts or we're feeling not heard or we're feeling ignored, it's really easy to be angry and it's not easy to smile. So um, I think that there's different paths to this. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people don't even know that people like you exist, that if that is their path, they don't even know so, like where to find you. So where do people find you and, and how, like, could you help people all over the country and world or do they have to be, do you have to be one-on-one? We've been talking about this whole thing one-on-one yeah. -on -one yeah, and helping yeah. more people, but so, yeah. So the way I had started was a one-on-one -on -one practice, right? And I did that for over a decade. And what that did was it helped me understand people, right? When I would sit and I'd talk and I'd hear the stories and I'd hear the commonalities. And it's like, well, we're all very different. We're all very much the same, right? Uh, I, I approach personalities or people like math equations, right? We, while we're very diversified, we still fall into a box of about six personalities, right? Six is just a number I'm throwing out there. And different variables put us into different areas within these same categories, right? So working one-on-one, -on -one, I was able to learn a lot about people. Uh, my process I ha I've, I've had various approaches to it. My one-on-ones where I would sit with the person and we do our BDSM sessions in person, there was still a workup of about six hours of conversation before we actually got in hands-on with each other. Uh, because what I realized is I need to understand who you are and where you're coming from to understand where you're going, right? Uh, you have some folks who approach professional domination piecemeal, right? You come, you see me, you pay me, I execute what you need and then you go on your way and you're sated, right? What I want to do is you come to me, we sit and talk for a few hours via Zoom or in person. Uh, Zoom nowadays, because it's so much easier, right? Uh, and you can still connect on Zoom sure. if you're listening to the person, right? If you're not just going through the motions, but you're present with the person, right? So in this process, what I realized that was most impactful was the space that I was holding. The plate was a byproduct of the trust built through the space being held. And there's only 24 hours in a day, right? And I can only help so many folks within that 24 hours or within those seven days a week or within the 30 days of the month that I could feel my body paying for, right? The tennis elbow, the shoulder, this the hours spent focusing on intently on one person. And COVID, good, bad, or indifferent, it dropped an idea in my lap of creating an intensive where I teach folks how to do it for themselves, right? There's a blueprint that was built through my domination years, one-on-one uh, -on -one years, that I was, I've been able to format in a way that folks can do it for themselves, learning how to hold space uh, learning the introspective part, first of all, because you have to know the questions that you that are important to you in order to ask them, right? But if no one holds the conversations with you, how are you going to know what the questions are, right? It's like I've done the research over a decade, right? Now that I'm thinking about it. And what it is, is the, the intensives now, I'm able to help more people with less physical investment, 
right? The emotion, the mental is there, but I'm not doing all the physical work of creating the experiences for them. What's happening is I'm sending all the attendees introspective worksheets so that when they come to the intensives, they have some history and language around their journey up until this point. So when we come into the, the retreat, we start off uh, with a meet and greet and stuff. I'm, and they vary between 48 hours to uh, 120 hours, five days, right? Uh, and depending on the, the venue, depending on the scenario, uh, depends on, on the intensity of it. Like we have one here in New York this weekend coming up and it's 48 hours, a program that we usually stretch out to five days, right? So it's like intent, intense concentration and application, right? So you arrive, I'm gonna summarize this really, like really quickly. You arrive, we have a meet and greet, we have uh, like a show and tell so people can get familiar with the things that they'll be engaging with over the weekend to remove the fear from it, the stigma. Oh my God, that's gonna hurt. This is gonna do that, that's gonna do that. And my intention with that is to show how accessible it is, how not scary things are, right? It's just our association with them before that point that can make them scary, like childhood trauma, a belt, for example. If you were hit by your parents by a belt, belts are probably not going to be the first thing that you want to experience because we have the traumatic association, right? So we use this first few hours to get people comfortable with the materials around them. The second day is where it all picks up. And it's our first full day. And we start with a three hour block where using this these guided conversations, they're like icebreakers, really. But they're important language, important questions to know of yourself, right? Now, when you're speaking it, you're speaking one-on-one -on -one to, we'll say 30 people are at the intensive. We pair you one-on-one -on -one and we'll have 15 groups, 15 pairs holding space for each other with these guided conversations. And the intention behind that is to create a container between you and the person in front of you to actualize by speaking your truth, right? One person asks you these questions that you've already done the homework for. And you speak it to them, making it your truth now. Because a lot of times it doesn't leave our mind. Very rarely will it come out of our mouth. But to say it to someone who's looking at you and you're feeling not judged and you're feeling heard and seen because they're going to experience the same thing right after you, right? Vulnerability. And in the safety of a group of folks who are there with that intention. I want to feel seen and heard and be safe and feel equal to everyone. So I have to create, and I wrote this, I have to be the person that I need, right? I have to be the patient one. I have to be the one who's present and not judging because I'm going to be in your shoes in the next minute. And I want you to feel, I want to feel how I help you feel, or I want you to feel how I felt, right? So we're giving folks the opportunity to go through this experience in a container that's safe with the importance and the language built around things that are difficult to talk about, our identity. And by the end of that three hour block, you have folks who have connected deeper with these persons in front of them than some of their best friends because they've shared things that were so intimate and personal. And it has nothing to do with sexuality, right? But how long have you been doing this? What are your goals in it? 
right? What are your curiosities? What are you hoping to gain in the next five years? Things like that to where you can really speak on it. And it's not about what the person can get from you. It's about what the person is open to hearing and accepting and receiving of you. And once you have that feeling of, wow, I feel seen and heard, and that was great. Why would I go back to anything less? And that's where the change starts to happen. It's like, who do I not feel seen and heard by in my life? And why do I deal with it? Right. And that comes by the end of the intensive. It's like people are having these revelatory thoughts because now I see where I stand. And will I settle for anything less from this point on? And it's a hard no. <laughs> it's a hard no for a lot of people to say, I feel who I am today and you're not reciprocating my value. Very good. I want to, I want to bring something up and ask you your opinion in a, in a, as best you can, we hear this a lot and you and I, and, and many people in the space of communication with others, therapy, massage, all types of, we talk about holding space and I have been asked what that means. And like, you know, we, we just assume like we have these conversations together and you and I were like, we, we understand that, but, um, yeah. A lot of people are saying, okay, let me hold space like that. Yeah. So what is your, could you define that in your best? Um... I appreciate that. That's a great question. Yeah, no, no. Uh, so holding space for me is to be able to give someone my undivided attention where I'm not responding to what they're saying unless they're asking for a response, right? Now I say that easier said than done because more often than not, we have a reaction that we want to say something, right? So I'm, still unlearning that but the intention is to hold space with undivided attention so that a person can just release they can speak they can tell you whatever they need to say good bad or indifferent because it matters to have a voice right it matters to say i see you right and that you're not invisible that's what holding space is for me nice okay I'd like you to go deeper about that because, um, so say someone comes in and they, they feel really scared to talk about, um, their abuse possibly, let's say, let's just go down that road. Say they were, um, sexually abused by someone in their family and they said something when they're little and their parents said, um, you're lying. And, um, so there's this trust level that has absolutely been decimated and um the trust to that someone's going to and i'm that's funny the trust that someone's going to hold space i'm saying it because i know what it means but okay the trust that someone is going to listen to them unconditionally and hear them and let them be them no matter what um it, i just think it's um it's it's overused with us and we're um assuming people understand, but to make sure that someone listening to you understands that they can say anything they need to in your space and, or feel like they want to, maybe not need to, and um, not only not be judged, but be accepted. Like, so I'm just wanting to go a little bit deeper on that because Joshua, you and I, we get that, but I'm having a hard time explaining it. <laughs> 
yeah, real, no, I, I, you know, I, I've got you. And this is the difference between us and uh, mental health professionals. I can give an example of uh, my life. Right. Good I, point. I understand because this is what I've been through. I, or even before, right? If I'm looking to open a door and they're talking around it, I, I will lead with an example from my life to say, I, I understand right? Or I'm open to understanding or while I may not have experience to that degree and I'll insert an example. Right. right? That of we can life. talk about our own. Yes. Yeah. And, and that makes, that oh, makes all oh, the, you know what? Um, we oh, got, we, we froze for just a second. Um, shoot. <laughs> It's okay. It was the answer, probably. No, no, it's okay. Uh, I like I give I give an example because I'm not bogged down by. Now, <clears throat> understand. There's morals and ethics, right? Ethically, ethics are man-made rules, right? Around society and structure. Morals are like human rules, like like existential rules, right? In order to live in harmony, don't be a right? It's like, don't create the conflict you don't want to involve, be involved in, right? Or we all have a role to play in all of it. Anyway. So anyway, the ethics behind not being able to connect because I'm the professional and you're the client, it's, it's a very sterile and very, uh, I can't say calculated approach because my giving of the example is very calculated, but we have to keep the humanity in these spaces. And there isn't a power hierarchy, right? There isn't, we're all human beings, right? And everyone's winging it, right? It's not like anyone knows more than the other. Well, maybe a little bit more, but no one has all the answers to life, right? So for a person to feel as an equal to me in regards to this person isn't going to judge me because they understand who I am, as opposed to I feel ashamed because they're going to look at me weird because of all the knowledge that they have. Yes. Uh, yes. I want to keep exploring this as we have more conversations because the holding space is the exact issue that we're having in society because space isn't held. And then people say they are, I'm holding space, but you can't say that and you can't be that. And, um, you know, it's, a. Uh, there's so much judgment and then there's judgment of judgment. And then there's judgment that you weren't judging. And it's very interesting. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, and, um, I think in your business too, like for me, if someone comes into my office and they are ranting about or very angry about anything, um, I hold the space that this is about you relaxing. And so let's, let's um, consider a different conversation, but recognize possibly that the conversation you're having is affecting you deeply. And if you're mad at the person that almost ran into you on the road, or you didn't like something you heard on the radio, or, you know, something happened at home, and it's now being trickled in and bleeding into the rest of your life, of your life, your daily life right now, it creates more judgment, 
to yourself, to me, to everybody around you. And again, I'm back to let's be the best body advocate that you can be. Recognize how you are um, affecting your own happiness by having these judgments. And um, so we don't hold, here we go again, we don't hold space for ourselves in that motion, in that time. And um, all this awareness, I think it's, um, I think we're all wanting it. And sometimes it's just hard to find it because we're being berated with judgment and we're being berated with different ideas that are um, challenging to digest. And like we're, you and I were talking earlier about some um, different types of um, food issues and the whole word about digesting. I see that in the body where people don't digest their spouse cheating on them. They just do not digest it. And what happens? They have this whole issue of pain from their, from their mouth because they can't talk it, their, their throat because they're holding it in, their chest because they're angry and feeling hurt and their courage is low and their, their insecurity is high. And it, it continues down, right? It doesn't get digested. And it's so we die. I see that we digest, um, you know, not just food. That's the easy one. Actually, it's not sometimes that's not easy either. If we don't digest things in a physical, spiritual, um, emotional manner, then usually that body also is having a hard time digesting actual food. So they're not creating, they're not allowing um, in, they're not allowing love in, they're not allowing forgiveness in, and also it doesn't come out of them. And I, I would really like to, that's why I'm doing the podcast is try to make people aware and be their best body advocate to advocate for those things they're feeling and not feeling or not able to say, and how can we um, help them do that? As uh, what happens, what I notice is folks, it ends up building up as tension and anxiety, right? Rigidity, stiffness, aches, immobility, right? Yes, yes. <clears throat> Through our sessions, right? By the time we do get hands-on and we implement the impact toys like the flogging and the spanking and the rope, mummification there's all types of modalities to move energy through the body and what this is about from my end in regards to professional domination bdsm as as therapy right uh one of my goals is to legitimize bdsm as a form of therapy and not just therapeutic but therapy in the sense that when we sit with the folks when i sit with the people that i'm working with and i'm giving them the space to share and speak their truth by the end of the conversations, they're feeling more, they're feeling stronger in them in themselves. By the time we get hands-on, right? That's the therapy part to say, <clears throat> I'm not broken, I'm not broken. I do see myself as a valuable person. And it it's work, it's constructive work, right? It's not something that happens overnight, but you'd be surprised on the leaps and bounds folks can have when they can share without obstruction. Right when the person sitting across from them can can associate with it, when they can associate with the person in front of them about um, sharing the examples, right? So by the end of that, when we do get our hands on with the flogging and the, whatever modalities we're using, the ability to let yourself go because you're not embarrassed to scream or cry or laugh in front of me, because that's what ends up happening as well for some folks who are getting who end up getting intimate. What they do is they go inside and they experience it themselves internally, right? If it's letting go, if it's 
rigidity because they're embarrassed to express, right? We try to knock down all these walls so that when we're engaging, I, and I will constantly give reassurance and permissions to let it all out, cry, laugh, squirm, you know, as long as you don't create a, a danger or harmful uh, experience, right? Which I monitor all of that too. And it's not about sex, right? I don't get undressed. What I'm doing is I'm helping you experience the, the sensations and the emotional feelings that you're looking to release or you're looking to touch, right? So for example, I had a gentleman who came to me, he was in his mid fifties and he only came to me once. And I really appreciate this because I don't look for people to be my forever clients, right? Because my body can't do that. What I look for is to help people unlock these doors that are holding them back, right? So he comes to me mid fifties and he says, I've never been able to cry as a child when I was getting spanked. They would always tell him, you can't cry, stop crying, don't cry. And all he wanted to do was release it, right? So we came and we did our thing and I spanked him and he started bawling. And it was beautiful because that's the permission he needed. That was it. But for him, he carried it for 40 years, right? Because no one could respect him for that, needing to right. cry, right? This is what society's put him into. This is what his gender role put him into, right? Was you're a boy, you're a man, you can't cry. Right. Like, listen, I just want to cry, man. I was like, listen, we can get you to cry. Just give yourself permission to do it. And I don't, I don't consider myself an administer of pain <laughs> like some people do. What uh, I'm, I, I guide folks. My intention is to hear what you're trying to climb and walking you through that rock, through that mountain or through that hill, whatever however treacherous it may be, right? But my intention is to help you navigate that land safely for yourself, right? I'm not gonna push you through. I'm not gonna pull you up. I'm gonna give you the yeses and the nos and the you can do it and the support. That's great. I, that, thank you for explaining that because I was wondering, you know, and um, I, I see how you want to legitimize this as a therapy because I think you know you and I have again talked about this before there's there's so much you know I work with a lot of uh, young men and the porn addiction is um, intense and the fact that we cannot openly talk about sex we can't talk about um, you know pornography for example is so hidden and if things weren't hidden you know, you're not allowed to, you can't talk about this, all these, like you said, these parameters that our society puts on us has caused so many parameters and so many more problems. And then like we were talking about these young men, they can't, they don't know how to treat their partners and the girls, they, they get upset because they're being, um, uh, they don't understand either. And I think it's created this uh, just massive problem. And um, if we could be more open, that's why I was so excited, like I told you, to, to have you on here is because I think it's important to talk about these things um, so we can get over the 
the abuse as as children that we're never allowed to talk about for example so many people in the catholic church and not just catholic church the catholic church gets you know berated but it's in every church right it's in every and not only just churches people in power take advantage of the people below them right yeah the power dynamic is absolutely taken for granted and taken advantage of and um and then there's so much carnage behind that there's this wave of carnage that no one you 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 know you can't talk about it. You have to hold that shame for decades. And if we could try to find a path for me, it's all about getting the body to be able to express itself and forgive and feel pain free for the first time for some people in um, decades. And um, yeah, now I do it. I do it a little differently, but we're saying the same thing. That's what I love about our conversations before it's these people are hurting in the same way and each person needs a different path to heal them, to heal what they're trying to heal. And, and I want to uh, um, legitimize each path because I don't know what path people need. And I'm not the person for everybody. You're not the person for everybody, but someone is for you and someone is for me. And again, we can only work on so many people. We are trying to create um, a way that thousands of people can be helped so that we don't, if we do it with one-on-one, we're so limited. So I appreciate that about us. Um, we're almost out of time here. What I wanted to- Can I, can I jump on to yes, something? Please, please. Yes, please, please. So yes, yes. I get to sit with sexuality and gender, gender expression. Uh, I, I have a wide range. I dress more femininely than I do masculine most of my days, except when it's hot, I wear booty shorts, right? <laughs> um, there's, some people call it an agenda. Some people call it a mission of teaching children about sexuality, right? And there's a hard line in the middle, right? About what's right and what's wrong to teach children. And I've been on the, it's hard because I believe in some of it and the other side, I don't believe in it. Like uh, the drag shows, in the bars that they take the kids to. I don't believe in it. I think they're too sexualized. However, when you have a drag uh, performer in a library reading to the books, it's performance, right? It's, it's not the same, it's not sexualized. Now, kink at pride events, right? There's a lot of uproar about, from some people about it shouldn't be there. And then on the other side, it's like, well, this is how it started, right? And people shouldn't be able to dress certain ways with children around. I don't believe in that. What I do believe in is people shouldn't act in certain ways with children around, right? Because the where is expression, right? The way a person dresses, if we didn't judge anyone on how they dressed and accepted it all without looking at it twice, shame wouldn't exist in that realm. Because if I was a boy and I wanted to wear a dress and no one said anything to me because it didn't matter, imagine how much less trauma I would have to deal with because of the way I looked and the way I represented myself. If I could do that responsibly and make sure I'm taking care of the shit I got to take care of, regardless of what I'm wearing, go clean your room, right? Go clean the fucking room. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. If we could find that level of acceptance, but we're too busy dealing with the trauma from our parents and their parents and their parents beyond that, this generational trauma. And this is what that generational trauma means is us falling into that same pattern that our parents passed forward to us that we can stop if we said listen child 
you could wear whatever you want. I don't care. You can play with whatever you want. I don't care. Just don't be a, right? Just be a good kid, right? But just be a good kid and support them in their endeavors and their goals and correct them when they up because we have to have structure and, and, and discipline to a degree because it's also evolved into an egocentric society, right? Where we're only concerned about me and no one else. And it's like, dude, but this is, a, this is a village species. We're meant to be supportive and in a group, right? Um, so back to the children and sexuality, right? The teaching of sexuality to children, and I just got this perspective from Twitter, is sexual assault and sexual abuse to children. This sexual education will give them the language to be able to speak up for what's right and wrong. But no one's put those two together. Right, because if we can teach you about your body and about the, and it's not just the private and the science, but the way we are treated by it, the way we're objectified by it, being able to have a voice and saying, this is wrong. I don't agree with it. Giving consent, the language around consent to children would be hugely powerful, right? To, to have children seen and heard would be hugely powerful. Now, this progresses as we get older, right? We're told whatever you're told to keep this in, right? The, this is where the porn addiction and the, the anger and the emotions of the invalidation start to swell up, right? It's, we're not taught how to have relationships. No one talks to us about these conversations. No one talks to us on how do we treat a partner? No one talks to us about connection. No one talks to us about connection. No one tells us how to form a relationship. No one tells us how to hold space for someone how to just listen to someone without intention, right? No one's ever taught us this. No one's taught us how to have sex. No one's taught us about sex. The internet, the internet, HBO, more HBO and Robin Bird because the internet wasn't around when I was learning about it. But who's teaching us? Who's talking to us about it, right? The, yeah. we, need, we need the information in order to be fuller versions of ourselves, right? Like my struggle with gender expression right? Because I feel powerful in high heels. I feel powerful in the dress. I feel more powerful in that than I do anything else. I'll send you a photo so you can see. Uh, it took me 43 years, 40, 43 years before I found the nerve to say, if this makes me feel powerful, why do I deny myself? Because of public opinion? Because of the shame that I, the, the fear that I may be judged by people? It's it empowers me, it gives me the right, the strength to ask for more confidently what I want. So why would I stem my, stop myself from being able to access that part of myself? But again, no one has these conversations. So there was a gentleman I was doing a podcast with uh, from Texas. He was a Christian kid. And <laughs> he, we were talking about sexual identity and hidden agendas and stuff like that. And he was like, I don't want my, it was his stepdaughter, like 14 years old. I don't want my, my, my daughter being taught sexuality through school. I just want her to follow my word. Oh, no, he goes, I want her to be herself. I just want her to listen to me. <laughs> I said, do you realize in two sentences, you just contradict everything you said? You said you don't want society telling her, so you want her to be her own person only if she listens to you. And he stood there, he stopped. And you could see the wheels turning and he goes, but, but, and I was like, there's no, but we're all individuals. We should be given the space 
And I challenged him. I said, just ask her without responding. Ask her who she is. Ask her how she feels. Ask her what empowers her. And just listen to her. Just hold this, just, just give her the time and the space to talk. And just yes. listen. You'd be surprised what you hear, man. Oh, I, yes. I wanted to um, come back to, circle back to what you were talking about. Um, if I can remember now. The gap between teaching children about sexuality and giving them a voice that it's not okay to be abused. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what I'm going to assume that all people, that's what we're trying to communicate with children, like that it's okay if you're being abused to speak up to somebody, um, even if it's not your parent. If your parent has told you that you're lying, then you can go to someone else. Or if you, if this is happening to you, these things, this is not okay. And those things are, there's a gap. I I liked our conversation the other day about bridging gaps. And there's a gap between children. They don't know what's, what sex is. They don't know what could happen to them or what's wrong. Like if they touch an adult, because the adult has asked them to touch a certain way, they don't know that that's wrong until later. Then there's all this guilt. And I think that's the gap that needs to be bridged between teaching uh, young children uh, sex education. It's not really, in my opinion, now, if that's not what they're teaching, then I'm not, I'm not for that. I am for giving them, like you said, a voice to say, this is right and this is wrong. I, I haven't even learned what's right and wrong yet, but I'm learning right now that the, what you just asked me is wrong. And even if that adult forces them to do that again, that they can have power feel that they have hope and power to get out of that situation by um, making some decisions that are very, very adult. These little babies are having to make, you know, adult decisions. As you know, I, I am, I'm following this whole, um, this whole like porn addiction. And if we could talk about sex more and have the porn addiction come down, I believe that we could really curtail, if not end the, all the sex trafficking. And in my city, it has gone up so exponentially that it, it's just shocking. And I also would love to grab a bunch of moms with Zoom cameras. And if we took pictures of the people who were paying for these 12-year-old girls and boys, these four-year-old girls in my city, for what that is not okay and if we could as a society start taking pictures and saying listen mr person that you're doing this and and maybe shame them i don't know how it could stop but it is a problem that it's not on the news uh my neighbors uh only know because we had a um a a little uh class at my house i was crying i didn't even know myself how bad it was in my little city and um like, so yes, we need a voice about being abused and sometimes it's sexually. And yeah. um, so I, I, there isn't, a, there isn't a voice. Like how many women, my, I, I coach many young women, the amount of women who have been sexually assaulted is, is we all know it and it's still not yeah. talked about. And I mean, there's, these are Pandora boxes, my friend. And here we go. We're past our time for sure. And I'm, I'm keeping you. Are you okay? He's... I'm okay. I'm okay. I have a few more minutes. Um, when, as, as you were talking, uh, 
it's like finding sex abuse survivors across the gender spectrum. What do you wish you had in support and how do we create it would be something to ask, right? It's like, we can only talk to, oh, to speak with the victims who can tell us what telltale signs were, right? The signs that people either don't look at or just miss, right? Because my family has one uncle for sure, right? Who was not a good guy, right? And the family protects him, right? He's an uncle. This is the generation above, right? And I know other families who have uncles and other family members who they've protected, right? And it's like, we have to find it okay to have a voice around shutting this down, right? Yeah. That while, while this person's related to you and it's embarrassing, they're scum. And we have to have a voice to protect people, to protect yeah. those who can't protect themselves. I can see like, so as a parent, if you, if your child has not been sexually abused, you do not want your child to be exposed to this conversation. And I get that if they, if, if they're having this nice little life and they haven't been abused and we don't know to have in which kids haven't, because they're so good at hiding it. They're, they're so, they are showing signs, but we ignore them. If we could possibly get better at not, not ignoring the kids who have the signs. And I get it that those children who have not been abused or have not been um, who have been protected from and only know what kids should know that exposing them to certain kids are being abused is in itself abuse to those kids all of a sudden their non-sexual little kid life is also being abused so i get it like there's two sides where we yeah. want to give a voice to the kids who are being um just you know in they're in they're in hell at home and then or not at home maybe it's at school maybe it's by a teacher Maybe yeah. it's by whoever they're the, whoever, whoever's abusing them. And then there's the kids who are being kids who are lucky enough not to be in this position. But if you expose them, then you again, put them in that you are abusing them also. So where's the, where's the, the where's middle the ground where we give yeah. kids a, a voice, we, we make it okay. And we don't have to muddle the waters of the kids who have never worried about it and never they're safe and they're having a lovely life how do we bring the kids abused back to the lovely life and i don't know you know these are these are definitely think, pandora boxes pandora's boxes talking, what came to mind is the norm right for someone who's abused that's their normal right that's their baseline so if we were to introduce a level of normality Right. Hey, kids, this is identity. This is this. This is this. Anything above this line is abuse. This is what it could look like. Right. Without having to uh, highlight anyone in the class. Right. Right. But allowing folks to hear what these dangers could look like. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a very interesting. Uh, and then give them a give them a path of how to take care of it. Because here's the problem is that they say, all right, go to your principal. Maybe they give them, you know, three options, but maybe the principal is the one abusing them. Like we, you know, there, I think there need to be more options. And also this, this take away the stigma that someone in a very public, uh, um, 
very happy position, they seem like they are perfect, that they could be the ones that are hurting you. And that's, and that's okay. Like you can, there's no safety around that. So if, you know, like, for example, um, um, anybody that I'm like a, like a rabbi i don't want to keep saying the catholic church it's so funny but um because they get beaten a lot um but so someone in power a teacher let's just say that a teacher is um taking advantage of their of their power over a child and makes them feel like um and but they're really they're they're the best teacher and they're liked by everybody and so the the kid goes oh they start questioning themselves oh well maybe maybe I, maybe I deserve it, or maybe he needs to, or, and so this dynamic is, um, it's complicated, isn't it, Joshua? It's very complicated, but I think there's some pathways, as long as we just start talking about it, and I just want to find that, because those kids, no one's fighting for them, and I want to fight for them, especially the ones who are caught in my city um, being trafficked, and they have nobody, no voice at all, uh, that's, that's terrible. It's a terrible place to be in. And, um, very much. So <laughs> it's been such a pleasure. I, I want to continue. I know you have to go. So how would you like to end today? I've really appreciated the, the width of the conversation, what we've been able to speak about different topics that we've covered to end today. I think I want to say, I look forward to seeing you for the second part. <laughs> right. right. I, I knew this was going to happen. Like, <laughs> Right. It's a big topic, right? And so many people suffer and, um, and from, from, you know, 90 years old to nine years old, and there's people that need support. And how do we get the beacon out to them to say there is support out there to listen and to make you not invisible and to support anything that you need. And, um, and we want to be we want to be the light the path for you to find what you need to give you hope that there you're not alone and there are people that can support you and if we're not the ones we can probably help find the people i would say i would say be the person that you needed right be be the example of the person that you needed when you were young right be that person strive for it and in that you can bring healing for yourself and for the people around you i believe that I love that. That's awesome. Yes, I agree with that. Thank you so much for being here. We will be in touch again soon. And um, uh, I just appreciate you. Thanks and have a great day, Josh. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We'll chat okay. soon. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation with Joshua Rodriguez or Master Joshua. As always, his information is in the show notes and you can call me or text me or email me if you have any questions and I will see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Your Body Advocate with Ruth Cummings. We're so glad you've joined us today and truly believe you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life. To connect with Ruth, work with Ruth, or to grab your free ebook, go to ruthcummings.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Until next time, friends, be open, include the unincluded, think outside the box, and spread love and kindness one smile at a time.